So Galatians 1, starting at verses one, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of, the God of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, I've re- received some good advice in my life. I've also received some bad advice. Uh, one piece of bad advice I received one time was I was thinking about putting a fence in at my old house. And uh, I was having a company come in to put this fence in. And somebody had heard that I was putting a fence in and they told me, uh, I'll tell you a little trick. Um, you don't really have to have somebody come and do it. You can just do it yourself. All you have to do is dig a hole and you don't have to worry about putting cement in there. You just dig the hole, put the post in there, put a little mud around there, and it actually works better than if you put cement in there. <laughs> I had no idea what to say. I was like, oh, oh okay, okay. <laughs> well, uh, Jimmy Fallon did a segment on his show uh, not too long ago uh, called Worst Advice Ever. And he had his viewers uh, tweet in with the hashtag worst advice ever their pieces of worst advice they received. Some of them are quite humorous. One lady said this, I dropped my brand new phone in the water. My dad said to just put it in the microwave for a few seconds. (laughs) I had to buy a new phone. He had to buy a new microwave. Another person wrote this. The guy at the hardware store told my friend that turpentine would remove paint from her hair. It did. It also removed her hair. Another guy wrote this. My dad told me that the broken escalator was voice activated. I spent 10 minutes yelling, go up, before he told me it was broken. Another lady wrote this. I gave a stranger super specific instructions on how to get somewhere. Then after she left, realized I was thinking of the wrong place. Another guy said, when too embarrassed to go potty behind the bushes, mom said, close your eyes and you won't know who saw you. (laughs) Another guy said, as a kid, after I got dizzy from spinning around, my big big brother told me, just spin the other direction to cancel it out. (laughs) And finally, this is probably my favorite. One lady wrote this. I was a senior in high school and someone told me my blinker was out. And that I needed uh, blinker fluid. I went to AutoZone and asked for it. There's a lot of bad advice out there. And uh, in the book of Galatians, we see that the Galatians had bought into some really bad advice. They had just a short time before believed in Jesus. They'd heard the gospel. They'd become believers in Christ. And so soon now they're going to a different gospel. And there was people in that church who 
were preaching a false gospel. And we'll get into uh, exactly what they were teaching as we go throughout the book. But basically they were teaching that you had to follow the Old Testament law and that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says that he's astonished at how quickly they're deserting the gospel. And the choice of words that he uses indicates that he's just beside himself that they would do this so quickly. That they would turn away from Christ. Generally, in Paul's letters, we see that he starts the letter with a thanksgiving. For example, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. In Romans 1 verse 8, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Even to the messed up church in Corinth, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And in Galatians, he just comes out and says, I'm astonished at you. He is livid. He is ticked off at what they're doing here. And he's surprised at the the fact that they would turn away from the gospel so quickly. But I don't know that he should really be that surprised. I mean, it's kind of part of the human condition that we have a tendency to turn away from what we know to be true. We saw it back in Exodus chapter 32 where God gives the Israelites the law. And they say in unison, all that the Lord says we will do, we'll keep the covenant of our God. Then Moses goes on the mountain and he's there for a while. And they're like, we don't know what's become of this Moses. Let's make gods for ourselves so that we might worship them and they might go before us. And so they make a calf and they say, behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. It was that quick. They went from following God, saying they're going to keep the covenant to turning to false gods. You see, David, who is a man after God's heart, who followed God, if you see the heart of a man who's following after God in the Psalms, and you just see his heart, and then he commits adultery, has the woman who he commits adultery, his, her uh, husband kill. Peter, remember we just looked at the story of Peter, he said he's gonna, he swore up and down he'd never leave Jesus, he would never forsake him, and yet three times within that same day he forsook him. Denied that he even knew him. I wonder if Paul would be amazed at the church in the United States today. I bet he would be. I bet he would be amazed at the beliefs that Christians in our country hold. According to one article, Barna's, George Barna's new research found that strong, idea, idea, uh, strong agreement with ideas unique to non-biblical worldviews among practicing Christians. He writes, this widespread influence upon Christian thinking is evident not only among competing worldviews, but even among competing religions. For example, nearly 4 in 10, 38% of practicing Christians are sympathetic to some Muslim teachings. Here are a few notable findings among practicing Christians. 61% agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54% resonate with postmodernist views. 36% accept ideas associated with Marxism. 29% believe ideas based on secularism. 
Barna's research so, shows that only 17% of Christians who consider their faith to be important and attend church regularly have a biblical worldview. The truth is, there's many people in our country and many churches in our country that cater their beliefs around the cultural wind. You know, one example today is homosexuality. You know, and years ago, the culture was kind of opposed to homosexuality. And now the culture has kind of gone in a direction to say that it's not only okay, but it's something that should be embraced and encouraged and celebrated. And some churches have kind of gone along with that and reinterpreted scripture in such a way to say, oh, yeah, we read it wrong that it really does say it's okay. And we take what culture is saying and impose it on the Bible rather than listening to what the word of God actually says. So we have a tendency to do that, to follow the winds of culture. But it also happens on a personal level. Sometimes God will do amazing things for us, pour out his blessings, prove his faithfulness to us. Then in just a short time after that, we fall into a trial. We're facing a difficulty and we just forget everything that he's done in the past. And maybe we turn to a sin or addiction to help us deal with that rather than trusting in God. I think sometimes maybe Paul would be amazed at us just like he was at the Galatians. But right at the beginning of the book of Galatians here, Paul is going to set the foundation for the rest of the book. And that foundation is the word of God. And he's going to teach us that the word of God is in a different category from the opinions of men. The word of God is in a different category from the opinions of men. Paul says that he's an apostle that, that not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He was an apostle who was called directly by Jesus Christ. He was headed on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. Jesus met him on that road. He called him. He changed him. And he made him an apostle. And so Paul says, I'm not called by a man. I'm not a follower of Peter or James or John. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who's called me into ministry. He's the one who's made me an apostle. He goes on to speak of the Galatians turning to this different gospel. And he quickly corrects himself and says, not that there's another one. He says, you're turning to another gospel, but not that there is another one. For Paul and the writers of the New Testament, the gospel is everything. The gospel means good news. And often in the ancient world, when a king would come and establish his kingdom and, and kind of put forth a proclamation of peace, heralds would go through the country and proclaim the gospel, the good news, that now a new king is in charge. Now peace and potentially prosperity was coming. In the ancient world, it was said that the birth of Caesar Augustus was the beginning of the gospel. Remember back in Mark, the beginning of Mark, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the writers of the New Testament, there is no gospel except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has come to the earth, that he has defeated sin and death once and for all through the cross and resurrection. And apart from that, there is nothing left. It's Jesus or nothing. And Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel to you, let him be accursed. The gospel is not an opinion or a perspective. Jesus came to the earth, literally died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave and calls all men to believe in him. It's a historical and spiritual fact with eternal ramifications. It's not a perspective. 
It's not an opinion. And Paul says the opinions don't matter. It doesn't matter what you might say about the gospel. The gospel is Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again. End of story. That's it. That's the gospel. Doesn't matter if I would change my mind and start preaching to you, whatever. It doesn't change what Jesus says and what Jesus did. He says, it doesn't matter if an angel would come down from heaven, do signs and wonder. It doesn't change what Jesus did. He came to the earth and died, rose again, defeated sin and death once and for all. And that changes everything. Romans 8 similarly says of the gospel and the love of Christ, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel is outside of ourselves. It's not dependent, dependent upon our subjective experiences. It's dependent upon the action and the love of Christ. It comes directly from God. cannot be changed. And I think this is one of the things that separates Christianity from other religions. It's not based upon a perspective. It's not based upon an opinion. It's not based upon somebody's spiritual experience. It's what a lot of religions are based upon. Somebody has this supposed spiritual experience and then they teach other people how to have that similar spiritual experience. It's not based on that. It's based upon a historically verifiable fact that there's an empty tomb and multitudes of witnesses proclaim that he was risen. That also raises the stakes. He says that let him who preaches another gospel be accursed. This word for accursed is the Greek word anathema, which is similar to the Old Testament word harem, which means to be devoted to destruction. In other words, what he's saying is, let him who preaches another gospel be come under the wrath of God. May he be devoted to destruction. That's how serious this is. That's how... Our lives hang in the balance upon what we do with the gospel. If we believe it, we find life, we find joy. If we reject it, we fall under the curse of God. And the Bible says that those who reject it will spend forever separated from him in the place the Bible calls hell. And so for Paul, it's a matter of life and death. It's not something to be trifled with. It's not simply an opinion. And then Paul continues and he says this, Am I now seeking the approval of man... Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Apparently some of Paul's opponents were suggesting that Paul was simply a peddler of religion. That he was kind of this cultural chameleon that kind of changed his views to fit the circumstance. Specifically with the the issue of Timothy and him being circumcised. Uh, They might have thought, well, he he told Timothy to be circumcised, but now he's saying you don't have to be circumcised. He just kind of plays his audience. Early in the 20th century, there was a horse that was named Clever Hans. And uh, Clever Hans was thought to be something of a miracle horse because he was said to be able to add, subtract, divide, uh, read a calendar, uh, read uh, Hebrew or German, uh, spell, differentiate musical tunes. And his owner would ask him questions and then he would answer those questions by uh, thumping his hoof a certain number of times for the correct answer. And uh, many times he was absolutely correct. And the German Board of Education uh, got wind of this and they sent some people to investigate this horse. What they found was he wasn't actually doing any of those things. He was just a regular horse. 
But what he was doing was he was reading the subconscious cues of his master. Things that people wouldn't even pick up on. Cause, so they did these you know, kind of tests and they would ask questions that they knew that his owner wouldn't know. The horse wouldn't know. They would take the owner away. The horse couldn't answer any questions. He was just fitting his questions to what his owner wanted. He was just going along uh, with what he thought that the owner wanted. And in the same way, the uh, argument brought against Paul was that his message was hollow, that there was nothing beneath the surface. He was just kind of doing what people wanted. And Paul, that's probably why Paul starts off this book so harshly. And he says, I'm astonished at what you're doing. I'm astonished that you are question, or deserting the gospel. Anyone who preaches a false gospel, it'll be accursed. I'll repeat it again. Anyone who preaches a false gospel will be accursed. He probably starts so forcefully to show them, I'm not interested in pleasing people. You think after this display, I'm still interested in, in pleasing people? And Paul concludes this question and this section and says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen to what Paul says here. Being a people pleaser is incompatible with being a follower of Jesus. Being a people pleaser is incompatible with being a follower, follower of Jesus. It's either we follow Jesus or we follow the crowd or other people. It's one or the other. But what we sometimes do is we when we invite Christ into our life, we want him to become part of the crowd. It's like he's one more perspective, one more opinion. But he won't take that place. He wants to be the only opinion. He wants to be the one that calls the shots in our life. It's either we follow him or we follow the crowd. And sometimes what we do when we follow Jesus is we'll go against the crowd. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of, her, of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Following Jesus is not about pleasing people. The gospel is sometimes abrasive. It causes us to make a decision whether we're going to follow him or follow our own desires or follow the crowd. Now that doesn't mean that we should just kind of walk around like jerks thinking to ourselves... I don't need to please people. I don't care what anybody else says. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to the weak I've become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. So it doesn't mean that we just kind of go off doing our own thing, saying I don't care what anyone else says. We still try to win the lost. We do everything that we can so that other people might come to know Jesus, even if that means sacrifice to ourselves. But when given the choice between choosing to follow God and choosing to follow a crowd, it's simple. We follow after God. When he speaks, we obey. When he says move, we move. Herbert Baynard Swope once says this. 
I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is this. Try to please everyone. The question I have for us today is, whose voice are you listening to? Whose applause are you seeking? Are you listening to the voice of God or the voice of the crowd? Are you seeking the applause of the voice of men or the voice of the master? In his book, What God Thinks When We Fail, Stephen C. Roy tells a fictional story about a violinist. And uh, this violinist was a very famous violinist and he was very skilled. And uh, he lived in this uh, German town and he was such a good musician, but he was terrified to, to play in front of anybody. And so finally, after much criticism from critics, he decided that he would go and play in the biggest amphitheater in London. It was in England, not Germany. The young violinist came on the, onto the stage and he started playing single stool, just him and the violin, and he played for an hour and a half straight. The critics who were kind of started taking notes with their pad, after just a few minutes, they put their pads down and they just soaked in the beauty of his violin playing. After it was over, the, the crowd just erupted in applause. But then the violinist didn't acknowledge the crowd. He didn't bow or wave. He, he didn't even stand up. He just sat there. After a few minutes, he finally acknowledged the crowd. After the show, the critics came up looking for him. And they said, it was an amazing performance, wonderful violin playing, but we just have one question for you. Why didn't you acknowledge the applause of the audience at first? Why did it take you so long? The violinist took a deep breath and he answered. He says, you know, I was really afraid of playing here. Yet this was something I knew I needed to do. Tonight, just before I came on stage, I received word that my master teacher was going to be in the audience. Throughout the concert, I tried to look for him, but I could never find him. So after I finished playing, I started to look more intently. I was so eager to find my teacher that I couldn't even hear the applause. I just had to know what he thought of my playing. That was all that mattered. Finally, I found him high in the balcony. He was standing and applauding with a big smile on his face. After seeing him, I was finally able to re relax. I said to myself, if the master is pleased with what I have done, then everything else is okay. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it's not based upon something that we could earn, but based upon your love and your grace poured out for us in the cross. Lord, we thank you that your gospel is not dependent upon the opinions of men, that it can never be changed, that what you did has eternal ramifications, that if we're followers of you, we have the assurance that no matter what comes to us in life, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, we pray that as a people, we would be people who are first and foremost devoted to following after you, not following after what's most convenient or what sounds the best or what culture is telling us we should believe, but truly devoted to following you and seeking your will through your word. God, we pray that you 
Give us the heart to do that, Lord. And as we study your word, as we seek your heart, Lord, we pray that you'd reveal your heart to us and that you'd make us the people you want us to be. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.